0: This episode is brought to you by Skillshare.
1: Skillshare is a super dope online learning community filled with thousands of creative video classes taught by experts and professionals. Even though we can see the light at the end of this lockdown tunnel, we still have a few weeks to go. So why not download a free trial and learn something new in the meantime?
0: Yes, and then maybe it's time that you signed up for a dance course so we can all go clubbing with our friends after this lockdown's over. And you won't avoid going on the dance floor like you usually do
1: (laughs) hold up maybe rami you need to do a course on how to be a good friend or (laughs) learn some manners maybe anyway check out our show notes to sign up for a free trial today
0: Welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy,
1: And I'm Sandon. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we chat with activist, proud queer woman and drag king, Madura Prakash. We speak about the intersectionality of her being a queer woman of colour, her experiences coming out and mental health journey, how Bharatanatyam helped shape her identity, as well as so much more.
0: Madhura radiated so much positivity throughout the conversation, even through Zoom, and we really hope you can hear and feel it as you listen as well
1: definitely. Now let's get into it.
0: Madhura, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I know it's Saturday morning and we've already had some Wi-Fi issues on my end, so I really appreciate your patience and your time.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Um, Madura. to provide our audience with some background, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. So yes, my name is Madhura or Mads and I am a drag king slash writer slash community worker slash law student currently.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get to some of those things and your activism work as well throughout the discussion. Yeah. Um, but to start off, did you always identify as being queer or was that something you only came to understand over time?
2: Yeah, no, it was definitely a long-ish process. Like when I was in high school, I had a feeling, but it was something I repressed a lot. I did a lot of am I gay quizzes, which is, like, probably a sign in itself. But, yeah, and then, like, whenever the answer was, like, you're gay, I was like, okay, let's do it again, (laughs) but, like, change the (laughs) answers. And then, yeah, like, I repressed it a lot. Because, like, yeah, my high school was kind of homophobic and it was also like I was you know when you're a teenager you're just trying to fit in as much as possible and I was like I'm not gonna do something that like makes me really different so I kind of like yeah forgot about it and then when I was 18 at uni and like broadened my horizons a little bit that's when I like admitted to myself like yeah you are queer and then I didn't really come out to well I came out to friends and stuff but I didn't really like act on it until I was maybe like 19 or something like that and so now I'm 22 so it's been like four years.
1: Yeah cool so you mentioned that unfortunately there were a lot of people around you who were homophobic or who weren't so accepting. Um, Could you tell us a bit more about what you were dealing with internally during that time Um, especially knowing that other people felt that way?
2: for sure so like I knew gay people existed (laughs) like I'd seen Ellen (laughs) but like there wasn't like a lot of representation online broadly and definitely not for like a Sri Lankan gay person or like a South Asian gay person so in my mind I was like that's not a thing like I know there's a joke at like the end of Bend It Like Beckham where her friend comes out as gay and she's like you're brown that's not a thing Mm. you know like it doesn't make sense like people around me would be like oh do you think that this guy's gay like if he's gay I can't be friends with him anymore and so I was like wow cool 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 I will uh, (laughs) sort that in the (laughs) in the kind of in a file and just yeah Mm. but again like I was very much like in the headspace of like I am straight and you know I'm going to think about boys and like, yeah, it was difficult to accept in myself for sure because of all of those things. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because we had a queer South Asian guy, Gautham, who's a makeup artist. You may have heard of him on our podcast. I think it was episode 10. And he's about your age as well, but his experience of coming out at school was a little bit different. Um, he he mm. mentioned that people at school were very accepting in his school – didn't appear to be as homophobic as you mentioned yours was so it's really interesting that although you guys are very similar cohorts that maybe depending on the type of school you go to or Mm -hmm. maybe even the suburb like I'm not sure that there is that difference there so it's really interesting to hear that from your side. Um, While you were grappling with your own identity, and I know you mentioned that you did come out to a few of your friends, what was that experience like? Could you tell us a bit about your coming out story? um, And then a little bit about when you told your family?
2: Yeah, sure. I didn't think about gay in high school Um, and then yeah when I was in uni I came out to some friends and that was like fine because I by that time I had gone to uni and like made kind of more progressive friends or like friends that would definitely accept me and so then I think I even came out to my high school friends like later on and stuff and they were like cool with it because I think once you're outside of that high school bubble like I, I think A high school, it was a selective school, but it was very religious for some reason. And so I think that's part of why it was probably more homophobic than other high schools. I think it's better now anyway. But yeah, and so once you're out of that bubble in the real world, it's a lot harder to hold on to those bigoted ideas. Yeah. And I was in the kind of headspace that I was just like, I'm not going to come out to my family ever. I'm just going to pretend for the rest of my life. That totally makes sense. And then one night I got a little bit drunk, <laughs> um, and by a little bit I mean a lot of bit. And <laughs> I came home, and my mom was like, my parents were like really mad at me for being drunk. And then just before like I fell asleep, I was like to my mom, I'm gay, and then like passed out, <laughs> and like that was, it. and then like I didn't remember what happened. And then the next day I woke up to a message, and she was like. Um, was that true, that thing that you said? (laughs) And yeah, it it was like the worst way to come out, I think, because she's probably like, there's no explanation. This is ridiculous. And like, it wasn't great, like, she doesn't like admitting it now, but she was very much like, how could you do this to our family, like, blah, blah, blah. And then I was just like, oh, it was just a joke. I was just like, I was just drunk. It was just like a funny joke thing and we kind of ignored it. Um, but then I started seeing someone who was a girl. And then when that happened, I like admitted it to my mom and she was like, yeah, you know, like she accepted it and she was very,
1: awesome.
2: she is very good. Um, I think, yeah, she could like, she tries her best. I think that sometimes there's a little bit of like, now we have a problem of her, like wanting to tell people before I'm ready and things like that, or like not really understanding certain things, but generally like she's awesome. So yeah. And I told my little sisters and they're both Gen Z. And so when I told one of them, she was like, yeah, this is fine. Like, good for you. And the other one was like, why are you even talking to me? I don't like you either way. Like, it was very much like a, yeah, I don't care, like gay or straight. Like, you're still a loser. (laughs) Like, cool. (laughs) So, yeah, my sisters were probably like the best, like in the whole kind of drama. Like, they were the easiest to come out with. I think a lot of people find that with their siblings. But yeah. And so yeah. then, yeah, some of my cousins, um, the cousins who I was closer to, like found out as well, like I told them and they were all like accepting. But it took a while for me to tell my dad. <laughs> um, it was like a long, long, long time after I told my mom and everything. I think his brother found out because he saw me and um, my girlfriend at the time on a date and I was like trying to play it off as we were friends and my cousin was like no yeah girls hold hands as friends all the time (laughs) and it was it was like we were trying to play it off but he's very left-wing so he was like supportive but he was like to my mom don't tell my brother Mm. and so that like put a lot of fear into me um but yeah I did eventually tell my dad Probably, like, yeah, a year after I told my mom and, like, all of that happened. I was in, like, a very depressed place. Like, a lot of stuff had been happening. I was, like, taking a break from uni. And so I was really struggling. Mm. You know, I was, like, very scared as well. Like, I was, like, if I came out to him, like, I was worried he'd kid me out and all sorts of things. And so then it was a very, like, heightened moment. Um, And then I told him. And he was, like, well... You shouldn't be thinking about dating anyway. <laughs> and so I was like, "What? Okay." Um, and then yeah. So and then like that. It's taken some time, but he's like, accepted it. It's it's one of those things where like we don't really like talk about it. And it, again, he's like, "You're you're studying. You mm. shouldn't be dating anyway." And so like it's not an active problem that we're facing. Like I've never been like meet this person I'm dating or like anything like that and I think that'll definitely be another thing but they accept me for who I am and they know this about me and they haven't kicked
0: me out so I'm taking those all as wins
1: (laughs) yeah that's good to hear yeah
0: it's awesome because you took us through that journey of you know telling your family from your mum in that drunken state to your sister (laughs) to your dad eventually but all in all it's fantastic to hear that your family has accepted you for who you are now and they did come around and they didn't take those drastic measures as we hear Mm. a lot of the time of, you know, kids being kicked out or being disowned. Um, And the way you tell your story, by the way, as well, is just you're so (laughs) cheerful and so charismatic about everything. And like, Sennan and I are you know, laughing while we're talking to you, but we obviously know that it would have been such a difficult time in your life. But the way you share it is just so beautiful. So thank you for sharing it in in that type of way. Um, We did want to ask you about your mental health and you just touched on that just before. I think, you know really for anyone going through things to do with their identity or difficult times in their life, obviously your mental health can get affected. But for you in particular, could you talk to us a little bit about your mental health during this time and how you've managed to kind of, you know, overcome that? I know you're still dealing with your mental health um, now and it's an ongoing journey, but how have you gotten to where you are now? What kind of help did you seek?
2: Yeah, for sure. It was, it's difficult because like, Especially when you're in that space of, like, hiding this very essential part of yourself from your family. And you're constantly, like, catastrophizing about, you know, like, what's going to happen and all of that thing. And also, like, just generally, like, society isn't, like, super friendly to, like, Australian society isn't, like, super friendly to, like, brown lesbians. Um, I had, like, a point where I had been doing a lot of stuff, I was, like, at uni and doing all sorts of other things, um, and really ignoring my mental health, like, I knew, I've, like, been on antidepressants since I was, like, 18, which I'm, like, okay talking about, because, like, it's, like, a fact of life, and it's very much, like, helped me a lot, like, And I think it's part of like what kind of helped me come to terms with my identity and stuff like post high school because high school was like a lot of difficult stuff. And then like I was able to kind of work on my mental health, work on who I am. Um, I was in like a very low place and I started seeing a therapist. And um, yeah, so I'm privileged Mm. enough that I was able to get on a Medicare plan and like afford that. And that was very helpful. My therapist, she helped me like you know, do things like prep for telling my dad, um, that I was gay and Mm. things like that. Like it was very much, um, it's hard to talk about the, like the difficult things that you've gone through. Right. Like it's, I think in our culture, like it's very hard to like talk about that family stuff. It's always like, you keep that to yourself. Like, it's not like we don't need to air kind of this stuff to other people. But being able to talk to someone, like, who's a third party and be like, no, that was a really, like, wild thing that you went through. Like, this is, like, you know, like, you're fine. Like, I accept you and there's nothing wrong with you. Like, for a long time, I was like, why am I doing this to my parents? You know, being gay, how dare I do this to my parents? And she's Mm. like, listen to yourself. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's not your fault. And, like, Mm. whatever the community does, like, it's not your fault. And... You know, your parents are in it for the long haul. They had kids. That's what they kind of put themselves into, I guess. And so, yeah, it definitely helps being able to talk to someone. And so I think that's what helped me a lot. And yeah, like kind of taking a break from uni and stuff like that when I was at my like lowest point. Um Another thing in our culture that is like wild mm-hmm. to do. Um, and yeah, that definitely helped me as well. And yeah, it's a constant journey and it's, it's also like, you know, being true to myself was a big part of like what makes me happier now. And so it's, yeah, it's a constant journey. Lockdown isn't helping a
0: whole lot, but, um... I'm definitely like in a much, much better place than I used to be.
1: It's really great to hear.
0: Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And I think you're so right. I mean, we've had this conversation before as well about how therapy and and mental health isn't taken Mm. seriously enough in um, many communities, but especially our South Asian community. Um, But more recently, I've heard people just openly say, oh, I see a therapist and like just in the past year and I don't know if it was Mm -hmm. lockdown or something, but people I hardly know just in conversations have passed that through. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome that everyone can be or some people can Mm -hmm. be quite open to sharing that because it just encourages other people to, yeah, exactly, to also um, get that help. I know you mentioned just before that in Australia being a brown queer woman isn't that easy. Um, and I can't even imagine what that experience would be like for you. Could you talk to us a little bit about what that experience has been like so far? I know you do a lot of activism and how has your identity impacted how people see you? Have you noticed any anything like that?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's two things. I guess first it's like the compounding effect of different forms of discrimination, right? I think like We live in an area that, like, used to be very, like, white. And so then, like, when I went to primary school and stuff, it was very, like, difficult in terms of kids being kids. Um, But Mm. racist kids. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, and then, like, growing up, I went to a high school that was pretty multicultural, but then, like, homophobic. And then now, like, especially, like, when I Mm. do, like, activism or, like, talk about racism or homophobia, like, people can be very terrible. Like, there were people saying, like, go back to where you came from, people saying homophobic slurs, like, that compounds and that's not great. But I think also, like, the way that the identities intersect is difficult. So, like, when I am with the brown community at, like, events or whatever it is, sometimes it is, like, hard being, like, too gay for the brown community. Um, Mm. People are, like, way more accepting and progressive now than before um but at the same time in the queer community it is predominantly Mm. white and like especially like I do drag and we've had in the past like drag queens and kings you know like use cultural appropriation and like do like Brown face and black face. Right. And so then I think it's like the isolation that, like, nowadays is what gets me of like, yeah, bring too gay for the brown community, but too brown for the gay community. But yeah.
1: Yeah, that must be so difficult to navigate yeah. because, to your point, uh, within one community which is accepting of your sexuality, you're too ethnic. And in another community where you can embrace being ethnic, you're you're, you're kind of I guess different to what's expected of you right which Mm. yeah I just can't imagine how hard that would be and I think you know hearing and seeing you share your story not only with regards to your experiences as a queer woman but also your mental health journey as well Mm. um, is so powerful uh, because it just spreads that message of embracing who you are instead of conforming to a stereotype or who people expect you to be. And that's a message that you spread a lot through your social media content as well. Um, You know, using that as a platform to help break some of the barriers that people of different diverse backgrounds often face. Um, How did you build the courage to share your story and experiences so openly on a platform like social media?
2: Yeah, I used to be, like, a person that didn't use a lot of social media, which is wild, probably, Um, to to find out now. But um, I think it started as me wanting to share about things that I was passionate about. And, like, say, like, people who followed me from high school were pretty ignorant about LGBTQ plus issues, but also people, you know, who I know from uni, like, might not know, like, about, like, race stuff. So, like, it was very much, like, me, at first it was, like, me mostly using, like, stories and stuff like that because I wanted to um, educate, I guess, and, like, share about my experiences. It was just, like, me being so frustrated at how kind of unjust the world can be. I'd, like, go on to, like, rant and stuff like that. Um, and then I also, um, last year was a youth activist with Plan International Australia. And so then that definitely gave me like way more confidence in like being able to speak. Like I was able to like speak on panels and like I had opportunities to write and stuff like that. And so that kind of gave me more confidence in my own voice and definitely, uh, was able to just give me a platform, I guess. And now I just cannot stop posting on social media, (laughs) especially again in lockdown.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, without even you realising it, you being so open about who you are and so vocal – would help so many other people, not just those people grappling with their own, you know, gender or sexuality, but also just anyone who's, you know, different or doesn't often conform to the norm. So I think it's amazing what you're doing and it's so, so brave um, to be putting yourself out there like that for strangers to have opinions on who you are. Did you ever receive any like backlash uh, from the wider community, especially like the South Asian community for doing that? Like did an auntie or an uncle, you know, The rare one that had instagram like see you on there and go like what are you doing or did your parents say like don't post stuff like this online
2: i think my parents didn't have too much of a choice like i was kind of just like doing it and i think with plan as well it's actually um something i say which is that i think my parents are okay with me being gay because i ended up being like a successful gay (laughs) which is that like because of plan like i was doing all these like things where I would be able to talk as a queer person and so at that point they were like well I guess we're proud of you and it's because you're gay Mm. so then like Mm. it's it's, yeah which is very much tied into our culture of like wanting success in people and so then yeah it's it is a bit messed up in that way but yeah in terms of so I wrote an article for SBS called How Natium Helped Me Come to Terms with Being Gay. And I was talking about my yep. experience with drag. Yep. And um, it got sent around on WhatsApp, which, you know, <laughs> it went WhatsApp okay. viral, which is like... Yeah,
1: you made it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I made it. <laughs> it was like... Because I had not told Mike's Other than like my dad's one brother... I had not told my extended family about being gay. And that's how people found out. Like, one auntie saw it. She called another auntie. That auntie called my mom. And they kind of... And so, like, my extended family kind of had this conversation about, like, whether or not to accept me without me. And, like, there were people that were like, you know, it's fine. This is just a phase. Don't worry about it.
1: How did you feel about that conversation happening?
2: Oh, it was so... It was terrible. Like, it was no autonomy from me. Like, yeah. it, it was so dehumanizing. It was, like... um, And it was terrifying as well. It was rough. It was, like... And it was a lot of it was, like, again, through my parents. So, like, this kind of idea that, like, me being gay, like, affects my parents in this negative way. Like, one of my yeah. aunties was, like, to my mom, like, don't worry, it's a phase. Like, sure, get out of it. Like, one was, like, um, yeah, I guess I accept her. But, like, why is she bringing natium into this. Like why is she like and there were also like a lot of people that did not understand what was going on and was like, Okay, yeah, I guess it's fine, like as long as she marries a man, right? And it's like, Oh god oh <laughs> So it's god. very much like a lot of Yikes. Um and I knew that would be a cost of speaking publicly. Um but yeah. Going WhatsApp viral, I don't recommend it. <laughs> unless it's like, unless it's you being the CEO of some company, <laughs> like, don't go WhatsApp viral. That sounds
0: horrible, yeah. especially without your input yeah. as part of that conversation. Yeah, People sure. just having a conversation about you in the background. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I even add. Something we also spoke about with Gautam, um a few episodes ago, as Romy mentioned, is how historically in South Asia, things are looked at as being very fluid. Um, like nothing's definitive, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's many ways of seeing and, and being and yeah. like we even have gender fluid gods, right? Yeah. Um, but I guess for a bunch of different reasons, the way we looked at certain things has changed over time. And in today's world, many of these things are looked at as taboos in our community, even though the roots teach us to yeah. be, more open-minded and more fluid because that's what human nature is right
2: yeah for sure and it's absolutely like a product of colonization as well right so like i like to think like kind of being accepting of like my own kind of like fluidity with gender and like my own queerness like is a way of subverting like that expectation that was put on us like by colonization
1: for sure and you mentioned better than rtm earlier um, and I know you did an interview quite recently where you spoke quite candidly about the role Bharadanatyam has played in your life. Um, can you tell us a bit about how dance has helped shape your identity and your journey to self discovery?
2: Yeah, no, for sure. Like, so I've done Bharadanatyam since I was four and I loved it I loved performing um I love attention (laughs) but yeah um and it was it was always this thing of like when we did like dance dramas and stuff like that like uh, we played like boys and girls like male and female Mm. and I guess like you know, for a lot of people, it was, like, yeah, dressing up and that was fun. But I was, like, I like this a lot, a lot. Like, it was, like, mm. um, it, was like it was, like, I guess technically my first time doing drag and, like, being a drag king was, like, doing brother Nati performances mm. in yeah. a weird way. There were, there were also moments of, you know, like, when we did dance dramas. Like, our dance school was all women. And so then, like, when there was, like, Rama and Sita and, like, the romance roles, it was two women. And I was, like... Mm this is pretty cool, like, does everyone else, like, feel like this is really cool, um, and then, yeah, that was also very much me being, like, in a weird way, like, the first gay representation, which was absolutely, Mm. like, that's not what it was, but in my little baby lesbian brain was like, this is, like, great, (laughs) I don't know, man, like, um, and so, yeah, it was, unintentional. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't want to, like, scare any aunties into thinking brother Bharatanatyam makes girls into lesbians <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But, um, it was very much, like, a way to help me. Again, like, I didn't think South Asians could be gay, and so it was a way of me, like, connecting different aspects of my identity together, um, in a way that's, like, yeah, very helpful. And also, like, brother Bharatanatyam awesome. is, yeah, a beautiful form of Dance and storytelling, and so it's fun yeah. to be able to express different things.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And you just talked a little bit about doing drag as well, and we definitely wanted to speak with you about that. Could you talk us through the significance that drag has had in your life and the persona of Manish um, when you do drag? And when did you first do it? What gave you the the confidence to really do that? Yeah,
1: and maybe even if you could take a few steps back and explain what the difference between drag and trans is because I recently had to explain to an older South Asian person that they're not the same thing so uh, for Mm. our audience who might not be familiar I think that would be um, something good to (laughs) address
2: so yeah like so transgender identity is someone who doesn't conform to the gender or like who isn't the gender that they were assigned at birth so like sex and gender are two different things sex is what your genitals are and gender is kind of your identity in terms of like your actions and your day-to-day and how you present to the world so for example they were born as female and so assigned as a woman but they're like actually a man and so then they kind of yeah take the steps to transition or whatever it is and then um present to and are a man um drag is where someone who I guess it could like it doesn't really matter what your gender is but you either present like as a man or a woman as more of a costume so it's like drag is like you're kind of putting it on not for entertainment purposes necessarily but just like to play with these ideas of like masculine and feminine on stage So there are, like, men who are drag kings, but usually it's, like, someone who is, like, a woman or non-binary who kind of puts on these, like, extra masculine traits to perform as a man. And so drag queens are people who put on these, like, extra feminine traits to perform as a woman. And so there have been, like, critiques where it's, like, isn't this, like, you know, sexist, like, men being women? But it's more of just, like, a celebration of everything that gender... Can be because, like, you have like so non binary identity is where someone is like neither a man or a woman, so kind of existing outside of the gender binary. Because, like, to me at least, like, gender is you have man and woman, and then it's like a spectrum, so like, it's both expanding the definition of what a man or a woman can be um but -hmm. it's also accepting that like sometimes people like don't land on in either of those and there are people who like feel like they're both people who feel like they're neither and it's like because like our society is built like very strictly around like various gender roles and stuff like that and so then it's kind of eschewing those um drag is a way of accepting the way that gender is perceived in society and kind of playing with that so a lot of the time drag kings kind of take on these personas as like very like misogynistic guys in a way to like make fun of like guys who are like that or like Mm. you know very like feminine guys and like yeah it's just like a way of expressing
0: like a different part of yourself. But yeah, I don't know if that made any sense.
2: Yeah, no,
1: definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely. No, most
0: definitely. So looking at, you know, and I guess speaking more from a personal point of view, for yourself, what has been the significance of drag to you? Um, you know, when did you first do it? And, you know, what gave you the confidence to play that role of Manish, um, who's your drag persona? Yeah,
2: I did not expect to get into drag. Like I was very, I loved the idea of doing drag. Um But I didn't think it was something I would actually do. But then last year, like, I was, like, feeling a bit low. It might have been during a lockdown. I can't quite remember. But, yeah. And then I just, like, put on the drag makeup. I was just, like, I wanted to – I want to see what it looks like. So, like, I put on makeup. It wasn't really drag makeup. It was, like, makeup that, like, made my face look more masculine, kind of. And then um, Mm -hmm. I was, like, this is fun. I like how this looks. So yeah, I started to do it like kind of just for fun. And then I posted a couple of pictures on Instagram and a friend saw, a friend who was a drag king saw and was like, let me take you to a drag show Mm. because I had seen drag queens, but drag kings don't have as much of um, a space really. I didn't really know like what drag kings were all about. Like I had seen them online, but I'd never seen a drag king show. And I went and I saw one and I was like, I am so obsessed with this. Like, I love it so much. I think drag kings as well, like, because they don't necessarily have the space that drag queens do, they, like, pull out all the stops. Like, drag kings, like, they do comedy, like, dancing, singing, lip syncing, like, freaking gymnastics, like, whatever it is. And so, yeah, it was really cool. And then I got the opportunity to have my own drag debut. I was so excited, honestly. Like, I... When I started doing drag, I kind of came up with a persona privately, and so that was Manish. And so Manish is the name that my parents would have given me if I was a boy. <laughs> um, ah, right. Yeah, and so my sisters, my sisters called me that like for fun sometimes, um. as a joke. And then when I was like putting on the boy makeup, I was like, well, this is this is Manish, I guess, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, nice. yeah and it also I like the word like it's m-a-n-i-s-h so it's like man-ish like not quite a man but like oh, kind of like a man. I didn't think about that I right? did
0: not it's, think that's like, yeah. oh man. my god it's, so it's just meant to be <laughs> right that's awesome right. yeah
2: um and so yeah it was kind of like this cool way of like connecting to like a part of myself that I never like really ever considered and then yeah when I did drag it was So fun. So, yeah, I incorporate Bharatanatyam into my routine. And often it's something that, like, no one has ever, like, seen that. Like,
0: Mm. non-South
2: Asians, they're like, this is incredible. Like, what is this? Um, And then people who are South Asian or, like, ethnic, like, love seeing that on stage, you know? Like, that kind of identity Mm. being represented on stage. Like, most of the time, like, when I come off stage... Um, after a show like at least one person will come up to me and be like oh my god like I didn't think that like South Asians could like do stuff like this like that was so cool Mm. like I'm Sri Lankan as well or like I'm you know Indian and then because I do like a bit of comedy as well and it's usually like playing on race so like I'll make jokes about how brown people are seen in media or like represented Mm. and stuff like that kind of like Calling white people out a little bit, um, and you know they all laugh because they got that white guilt. <laughs> and <laughs> so um, and yeah, and so then that's like fun as well. Um, kind of like bringing that education thing because I can't. Mm. Yeah. I I can't just let it go. <laughs> I can't just have fun. I gotta gotta make it educational. And so yeah, it's um, it's been great. Like it's just expanding the way that I see myself and what I can do for the community has been life changing. Honestly, it's given yeah. me so much confidence in myself and yeah, yeah, it's been awesome.
1: Yeah. It's amazing to see how you're using your platform, um, not only for personal reasons, but also to spread a really positive message of um, acceptance and to educate, right? Which is a really powerful and important thing for you to be doing. Um, do you see many people from the South Asian community doing drag, at least publicly?
2: Not a whole lot. Um, I know some drag queens. Um, there's Radha. I don't know if you've seen yeah. her stuff. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, like, yeah. she's like on a TV show as well. So like, that's pretty cool. I think she's, I actually don't know what her background is, but yeah, she's like South Asian and like, she wears the yeah. sari and these big, beautiful eyelashes. And it's yep. awesome seeing that, right? Um... And so, yeah, there are a couple. Uh, it's usually, like, one per state kind of thing. Like, there's a drag queen in Canberra. There's a drag queen in Queensland. Like, um, that's, like, South Asian. representative yeah. per state. Yeah. Um, I, the only drag kings that are South Asian that I know... I think there's one in Queensland. There's also, like, one in France. <laughs> and, like, that's, like, the mm. thing. Like, I've, like, kind of... Through social media, I've kind of, like, found people and, like... Um, there's a drag queen in India who I found recently. I think her name is Lush Monsoon, and she's um, a human rights lawyer by day and then oh, a drag cool. queen by night. And I was like, "This yeah. is so cool." Goals. So yeah, yeah, yeah. goals. <laughs> and so yeah, it's there's aren't a lot of us, but you know, we're loud, <laughs> and yeah, we try to find each other when we can.
0: Yeah. Through your experience of being so public about um, your identity and and doing drag on social media, have people DM'd you on the side being like, how have you done this? Like, you know, can you share any words of wisdom? Like, have people come out to you knowing that you've created this safe space? Have you found that happen? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, just like
2: being brown and queer, like, I've, like, received DMs from people being, like, thank you for doing this. Like, this is so wild. People, yeah, like, kind of disclosing to me, like, I haven't come out to anyone, but, like, I am Indian and gay and I didn't think that could happen. And even, yeah, drag. People wanting to kind of get into drag. Like, I've been approached, Mm. like, after shows and stuff and being, like, you know, how did you get into this? And I think that's one thing about the Drag King community especially. Mm. Even the Drag King's... As a whole, like, of all races, there aren't a whole lot of us. And so we are so open to, like, bringing new people into the fold. And so mm. um, there are so many ways of kind of getting involved and, like, learning. Um, yeah, like, mm. it is it is such a privilege, honestly, people, like, confiding in me and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. It's very cool to be able to be that representation in some way or, like, be that person that, like, I never saw And, like, kind of tell people, like, it is okay and, like, we do exist because, God, that would have helped me (laughs) a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's great to hear about how proud and confident you are with who you are now and how, you know, you want to spread that to the next generation and that you've become the person that you wish you had Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, On the flip side of that, within the South Asian community, we have a tendency to to care more about what other people think about us um, rather than doing what makes us truly happy right um what has the community reaction been like since you've been a bit more public with your drag and your message and um how have you been able to navigate some of the negative energy that might have um that that you might have gotten from that
2: i don't get, like, too much hate. Just, like, I'm, my platform isn't, like, huge enough to, like, get, like, the really bad stuff. I think there are, like, people that are, like, uncomfortable with the idea of, like... Especially because I do bring in Bharatanatyam into it, which, again, like, we talked about, like, they see as sacred, they see gay as taboo. Like, it doesn't make sense, but it... But it, it makes sense. <laughs> it does. Mm, um, for sure. And so, yeah, I think it's... It has been a long time, like, me deconstructing this idea of caring what other people think as well. Like, it's been instilled in all of us, especially, like, yeah, in our community. And, yeah, it is very, very difficult. Um, And, you know, I still, like, I still get bothered by it. Like, I still get very nervous with, like, yeah, how people in our community will respond to me um, as a performer, as a person. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm most happiest when I'm true to myself and I just have to, like, remember that feeling and focus on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I haven't received, like, the most overt hate or anything like that. Like, there have been some DMs here and there, people being like, mm, this is wrong and, like, or oh, whatever it is. Um, so maybe I guess that is over <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, I just like, I'm very big on like blocking people and not engaging with people. Yeah. And so like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not, um, I remember once like someone being like, I bet your parents aren't proud of you. And I was like, oof, that one hits. <laughs> That's a real fear. That's a real fear, fam um but then yeah. and then I asked my parents and they're like no we're proud of you so it was fine <laughs>
0: yeah exactly but
2: yeah like it is yeah it is um it's hard but I think yeah again just focusing on you know what makes me happy and the fact that I know there are so many people out there that love me and support me yeah exactly. and there are even more people out there that need love and support um mm. you know and that kind of enjoy seeing what I do that helps a lot as well
0: yeah yeah exactly. It's amazing that you've continued to be so positive and continue to spread that as well and I think sometimes people just need to be blocked. you don't need yeah. that that sort of energy in your life. so no, it's good that you just kind of block it all out literally on instagram and and everything, but also just mentally block all of that out um, and really just know that the people that you care about that's who matters most right So the fact that your parents are proud of you just trumps all the hate and all the the negative uh, comments that you receive online. Um, Identity is obviously something that's ever-changing. And, you know, we did speak about the fluidity of that a little bit before as well. But in this society where we're still trying to, I guess, like put people in boxes, do you feel pressure to put yourself in a box or like solidify your identity or have to like figure it out soon I mean you're only 22 but even still do you feel that way
2: yeah for sure I think like both in the queer community and just the wider community there is like this thing of like what are you you know like let us Mm. label you so we can treat you how we think your label should be treated like it's Mm. um and yeah for sure like I present like very masculine and feminine like I'm very fluid in that way and I think like that is very confusing (laughs) to a lot of people I think um Mm. like on my Instagram I've started doing this thing where like it'll be me dressed like very masculine and very feminine in the same photo because I Mm. love that so much but it's also like confusing even like for some queer people they're like are you like a butch lesbian or a femme lesbian and I'm like I'm just a lesbian (laughs) like I'm just Mm. vibing And, yeah, it is tricky for sure. Um, And, yeah, like, I think, like, even my parents, like, didn't love me, like, presenting more masculine. Like, my mom was like, you're not going to start dressing like a boy, are you? Because, like, I like it when you, like, wear dresses and you look all nice. And I'm like, at the time, I was like, no, no, it's fine. And now I'm like, oh. And then you did drag. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. And then I did drag. And I was like, I am so sorry. Um. But, yeah, like, drag is a whole other thing. Because I would do drag, like, alone in my bedroom. And then I would, like, run, like, and, like, kind of sneak off to performances. Um, mm. And so, yeah, like, my parents finding out I was doing drag was, like, another thing. Like, for a long time, I would just tell my dad, like, I'm just, like, doing this performance. And I'm, like, playing a guy. And then eventually, like, it became bigger in my life. lifestyle to be, like, I am a drag king. And this is what that is. Um, and, yeah, you know, like... I don't think brown parents love the idea of their precious daughters dressing up as men. That's not really a thing. But, well, they have to deal with <laughs> yeah. they, They've had yeah. to deal with it. But, yeah, sorry, back to your actual question of people um, being... Yeah, people definitely want to put people in boxes. I think there's a lot of people not really understanding, like, non-binary identities. Um Like it doesn't negatively affect anyone. Like I don't know, like maybe like the statisticians for the census like are a bit confused. But like (laughs) other than that, I don't see how like it hurts people. So like it honestly like the backlash never makes sense. Um and yeah, like it is like on a personal level sometimes it can be like confusing. Like maybe I should just like choose one thing or like yeah, I should just conform. It'll make it easier but it'll make me a lot less happy and exactly. so you know yeah I think yeah it's very even the thing of prioritizing your own happiness is very taboo in our culture which mm. is like um a weird mm. thing to say I guess yeah. but it's true and so even yeah even just saying that I think um feels very radical to me <laughs> um yeah because like it feels like selfish but it's yeah. not like it's it's normal it's what we should all be doing for sure yeah um so i think you know screw the boxes (laughs) essentially is my conclusion statement
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love that uh and that's something that we've spoken about on our podcast from a few different angles as well how you know when we put boxes on people whether that be race religion sexual orientation um it just puts limits on what it means to be human, yeah. right? And mm. it just limits us being able to grow as a community. So, yeah, I really love your message about um, boxes not mattering. Um, kind of coming to the close of the episode, if you were to go back in time to when you were doing some of those quizzes online to <laughs> understand if you were gay or not, or, you know, when you were struggling to, to come to terms with who you are, what would you tell that younger version of Madhura?
2: I guess it would be that thing that we've touched on this whole time, which is, like, don't decide who you are based on what other people want you to be. It'll only make the process so much longer. It'll only make you sad. Um, People who don't accept you for who you are aren't your people. Um, And -hmm. that is rough. Like, it is so rough having to let go of people in your life and, like, for people who you once... thought was like a friend or a loved one to not accept who you are but at the end of the day like if they don't accept you for who you are they don't deserve to be in your life in all the amazing things you can do and that you will do once you you know are able to accept that I love that
0: yeah that's such a beautiful message I know that throughout the conversation um, we did touch a little bit on your activism as well and we did want to ask you a little bit about that because that's another huge part of who you are and you're doing so much great work from an activism standpoint could you talk us through a little bit about what you do from that side of things and where your passions lie when it comes to activism?
2: I guess yeah it's you know queer people of colour a voice but also yeah I do um, a little bit in terms of like justice and access to justice I think like especially for refugees Um, but it is it it is all the same thing about kind of like equality Um, currently I'm at the tail end of an internship with Amnesty International where I've been working with them doing like campaigning for refugees and doing casework with some of their refugee clients Um, which is yeah which has been an incredible experience but yeah in terms of that i'm not sure what i'm going to be doing next but i think yeah my passions kind of lie in like gender justice um and yeah providing a voice for the voiceless and helping people who the system doesn't help is essentially (laughs) the like crux of what i want to do
1: yeah absolutely love that and i think to your point Um, No matter who you are fighting for, when you're fighting for the voiceless, you're leaving such a massive impact, um, which is amazing. Um, The way we kind of wrap up our episodes, which we unfortunately didn't get to do with our last few guests, um, is to ask our interviewee for a recommendation for our listeners. Um, Yeah, so do you have any recommendations for us?
2: Ooh, okay. Um... I am obsessed with podcasts in general like I listen to so so many and there's a podcast called Query by Cameron Esposito who is this comedian who interviews queer people across the spectrum so many different like queer people who have been in the spotlight have been interviewed by this person and I think like if you want to kind of gain an understanding about queer identity and because queer people aren't just like like, we're more than just, like, queer, right? Mm-hmm. And so of I course. think if you want to kind of, yeah, like, expand your knowledge about queer people, find some, you know, comedians, actresses, writers, activists in that space, um, having a listen to that
0: podcast is a very good idea.
1: It's awesome. Well, check it out.
0: Yeah, love that recommendation. Madhura, thank you so much for your time. We've seriously very much enjoyed listening to you and and speaking with you today. I think you don't have to do what you're doing with the platform that you have, but the fact that you are advocating for people who don't have a voice and like all parts of your identity are kind of coming together, especially you doing your law degree. It's just all (laughs) like fitting in so nicely with everything that you do. Um, So yeah, really love everything you do and appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, remember to rate and leave a review.
0: Up next, we'll be doing an episode where we unpack South Asian rituals and traditions. The ones we love, but also the ones we partake in without quite understanding what they're about. If you have any examples of these rituals and traditions, make sure to DM us on Instagram at stuckinbetween_podcast. underscore podcast.
1: We've had so many really great messages already, and we'd love to see what more you can send our way. We'll catch you then.
0: Bye.